Kensuke Nakamura, Kaisuke Honda, Shinji Kagawa, all supremely talented Japanese players who've plied their trade in Europe's top leagues. But what of their homeland? The J-League is a melting pot of different cultures, imaginatively named teams and beautiful kit designs, a gem that we feels not truly appreciated by fans on our shores. That's why we bring you the J-League 11. Hi, Arthur. Can't wait for this one. Um, We're talking about one of the most unpredictable leagues in the world. There were six different winners of the J-League between 2005 and 2013, nine different teams occupying the top three during that period. And I think the story that sums that up best is in 2011, Kashiwa Raysol, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of them, Arthur. They won the J-League despite only being promoted the season before. I, I oh. don't know whether that's ever happened in another league. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic league and one that I think both of us have had a bit of an interest, an added interest in since you became a uh, Shimitsu S-Pulse superfan. Yes, of course. Oh, so much more of that to talk about today. Can't wait. Um, at 11 pods on Twitter. That's the word, not the number. Please get in touch with those names that you think should have made our J League 11. Uh, we're playing a 4 3 3. In goal in our J League 11, it's Jung Sung Ryong. I don't know who that is. <laughs> no, um, no. Well, I thought given the historic links between Korean footballers and the J-League, mm. I, I thought it was important that we included a South Korean in the team. Yes. Um, I uh, read something interesting from George Slade, who was talking about the link between the two. He said, for over 2,000 years, these countries in their various forms have traded, fought and learnt from each other. Sport is no different, as both Japan and South Korea are lovers of both baseball and football, a combination that's hard to find anywhere else. Obviously, in recent times, they hosted the World Cup together in 2003, and there's been a steady stream of South Korean footballers into the J-League for, for a number of years. Jung Sung Ryong was a reliable goalkeeper who played uh, for K-League giants Pohang Steelers, as well as Seong Nan and Su Won until 2016 when he made the move to Japan. He'd won the K-League in 2007 and the Asian Champions League in 2010, but the Korean FA Cup had eluded him. He was runner-up in 2007, 9 and 11. His big success, really, was on the international stage. He scored with a long kick of 93 yards, in an under-23 friendly match with the Ivory Coast, that was for Korea. And that made him the first Korean goalkeeper to score in an international match. Uh, and he accumulated 67 caps for South Korea, including a bronze medal at London 2012 as an overage player. He oh. saved an Aaron Ramsey penalty in normal time uh, before being subbed off after a nasty clash of heads with Micah Richards. Uh, and of course, that was the medal that spared him national service obviously in South yeah. Korea you have to achieve sporting glory in order to be excluded from that um, and in that run he conceded only two goals in five games um, returning the bronze medal actually in a victory against Japan uh, wow. so um, yeah they received him well in the J League though uh, <laughs> But uh, do you, you went to London 2012. Did you, do you watch Korea? I didn't watch Korea, no. I watched England play against United Arab Emirates ah. or, or Great Britain, as it was, Team GB. Um, but it was a great occasion. I, I don't know of Yoon Sung Ryong, but just looking at his sort of profiles on, on search engines, he, he's a very content-looking man. He has this kind <laughs> of look on his face that sort of seems, I'm, I'm very chuffed with myself for making a career out of football. Yeah, he's chuffed with himself. I mean, he became a legend in the J-League. He was actually called God by some fans. Wow. <laughs> and he said, some fans call me God. I'm very thankful. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that, how, would, how else would you react, I suppose? To well, that? exactly. You've got to be thankful for that. Um, but his arrival in the J-League was a slingshot uh, for Kawasaki Frontal. 
they won their first ever J-League title in 2017 and followed it up with subsequent titles in 18, 20 and 21. Mm. Uh, they also won the Emperor's Cup in 20 and the Japanese Super Cup in 19 and 21. Uh, and he was voted as the J-League Best 11 in 2018 and 20. It wasn't all plain sailing for him. I quite enjoyed uh, this description of a match uh, in Korea. Jung experienced an unpleasant damage in the 2011 Champions League semi-final first leg against Al Sadd. Play had been suspended due to an injured player and the ball was being moved to Jung to resume play. However, Al Sadd striker Mamadou Niang suddenly intercepted the ball in front of Jung and scored a discourteous goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but off the pitch as well, he um, has been successful. He married Miss Korea in 2006, uh, which is a pretty good, uh, good string to his bow. <laughs> Can you be successful <laughs> off the pitch by, by sort of marrying, <laughs> marrying well? You absolutely can marry well, <laughs> and this man's done it. Um, he also Shrewd donated bit of business. He also <laughs> donated thirty million won to a pandemic support charity. Um, so he's a really great bloke, to be honest. Um, he has a tattoo as well on his left wrist uh, that says "One means my pride as a goalkeeper and my sense of responsibility as a keeper. It is meant to be," uh, mm. which is very profound. So. Um, yeah, welcome to the eleven, Young. Uh, a reliable presence in goal, I think. Yeah, and a hero of more recent times in the J League. Um, I'm going to go back in history a little further for the left back, Arthur. Alessandro Santos. Mm, no, doesn't ring a bell, I'm afraid. <laughs> he was often known as Alex. Uh, that oh. was the name he had on the back of his shirt. I think I do remember. Did he, did he play for Japan? That's right, he did. Yes. Yeah, a, a technical attacking wing-back. Um, since the 1960s, Japanese soccer has welcomed numerous players from soccer superpower Brazil. Uh, and this long-standing relationship has brought significant benefits for the development of the sport, not only the national team, but the domestic league, which homes millions. No, it doesn't home millions. That's an overstatement. Hundreds of Brazilian football players. <laughs> It could derive from the fact that Brazil experienced one of its worst economic, social and political crises in the 1980s. And that led to the migration of many Brazilians to other countries. Uh, and among them, many Japanese descent Brazilians decided to work in Japan as Dekasegui or temporary migrant workers. Um, and so Japanese despite there. the fact well that geographically they're miles apart there are close links between those two countries and Santos was a Brazilian who was heralded within the J-League throughout his career he moved to Japan to complete high school in 1994 so he was just a youngster and having become a Japanese citizen he'd go on to make 82 appearances for his adopted nation including playing in two world cups he was just the fifth naturalized citizen to play for Japan Santos's career would start at Shimitsu S-Pulse, the team that, of course, I love and, and talked about fondly in the Did He Play There episode. So check that out if you want to find out more about them. Uh, he played as a winger at the time and scored an impressive 70 goals in over 250 appearances. And he'd win J-League Player of the Year in 1999. In fact, he was so good that he became courted in Europe in August 2002, Santos agreed to join English Premier League club Charlton Athletic, but he was denied a work permit by the Home Office because he'd not made the minimum number of national team appearances required for players outside the European Union. That seems a really odd way to categorise people for a work permit, and I, I kind of feel sorry for him, actually. I mean, that is still the way they categorise it, isn't it? You have to have played... Is it 75% of that country's games in the last year or, or something along those yeah, lines? Yeah, it just seems it, strange when you play mm. for, you're from quite a major nation, um, yeah. and particularly with the situation that Santos was in with his citizenship. It, it kind of made it impossible for him to move to Europe. I've just got this niggling feeling that he would have been a more famous player had that move have worked out. He would have been just the second player to play in the Premier League uh, from Japan. Do you know who the first ever Japanese Premier League player was, Arthur? 
Mm. No. It was Junichi Inamoto. Ah, of course. Beyond Shimitsu, uh, Santos would play for Urawa Reds, Nagoya Grampus, Tochigi, and Gifu before finishing his career back in Brazil. He represents the flair of Brazilian influence in the J League for me. Um, and I'm guessing he might not be the only one in that 11, in our 11 today, that takes up that place. The likes of Zico, Babeto, and Hulk have plied their trade in the, in the J League before. And I, I, I think that's a key reason why this league has become so exciting. Absolutely. And I love the idea that that naturalized citizens playing for Japan is a is a is a thing. Um a nation that has a proud footballing history, to be honest. I think they are the best in Asia, uh, probably by world ranking. Um, but adding some Brazilian flair down the left is is obviously very useful. I think an attacking left back by all accounts, due to his former position on the wing. I actually didn't I had no idea he'd scored so many goals. Um, earlier in his career in the J-League. So an excellent pick. I'm very excited that he's made an 11. Who's sitting just inside him at centre-half? Just inside him is Tony Popovich. Oh, Tony. All I remember, really, is the own goal, sadly. Yeah, I think many fans remember that own goal. Uh, I've actually got quite a fun description of that one from Tom Victor who writes The Anatomy of an Own Goal, which does talk about that, that own goal for Palace against Portsmouth, which was a backheel volley. He said, simply put, this is the execution of a man who, after 31 years on this planet, has only just realised he has legs. <laughs> Credit to the Sydney-born defender for deciding to take his new limbs for a spin and find out what they're capable of, but no one in full control of their faculties should even be capable of this kind of move. It's almost an anti-flexibility kind of flexibility. The delivery of someone who learns to dance during a fever dream and wakes up with his body embedded in a bedside table. If goals at the right end become more aesthetically satisfying for going in off the crossbar, the horrible sight of this goal creeping in off the far post is just as fitting. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love that. I mean, honestly, it was it was impressive. Um, but I don't think it's fair to judge him just on that own goal. Tony Popovich was one of the J-League's first Australian exports. After 162 appearances in the NSL for Sydney United, Popovich made the move to San Frecce Hiroshima, where he immediately slotted into the first team. Uh, that team are the joint most successful team in Japan. Both them and Kashima Antlers have eight titles, though Hiroshima and... Tokyo Verdi are the only two to have won four in a row, which is pretty impressive. He ended up making 100 appearances for the club across all competitions, uh, during which he scored a respectable 17 goals from centre-back. He was a real leader at the back. He's not the only Aussie to have trod this path, though. His fellow centre-back, Lucas Neal, had a ill-fated spell at Omiya Ardia. And Joshua Kennedy did exceptionally well at Nyoga Grampus. And Mitch Langerak's form at that club has been so excellent, there are now clamours for an international recall for him. Wow. His form in Japan attracted the attentions of Crystal Palace, and he made the move in 2001, becoming a key part of the side and helping them to promotion and eventually taking the captaincy. I think Palace fans, despite that own goal, would probably think of him in very fond terms. Um, a good defender, not spectacular, but did the business on a number of occasions. He was very successful internationally. His best year probably came in 2006, when in a qualification playoff, he took part in both legs as Australia beat Uruguay. Um, he also played in the tournament. Australia made it to the second round and lost to eventual winners Italy. And 58 caps internationally is incredibly impressive. The start to his managerial career has been pretty outstanding. Uh, he took the reins at Western Sydney Wanderers for the inaugural season of the A-League and guided them to the title. And then the following year, they became the first and still only Australian team to win the Asian Champions League. Uh, they beat strongly fancied Al-Halal in the final. Uh, and actually on the way there, they overturned a 3-1 first leg deficit to his old club, San Frecce Hiroshima. And ironically, Japanese playmaker Shinji Ono was the 
uh, chief tormentor. He got two assists in that brilliant 2-0 second leg win. Um, so a good manager, been linked with Crystal Palace on a few occasions, but he finds himself still in Australia, currently with Melbourne Victory. Um, so maybe one that we'll be seeing over in Europe in managerial capacity soon. Yeah, nice. Good pick. Um, I, I don't claim to watch the J-League, Arthur, so I'm I'm learning through this episode, really. And I must say, San, San Frecce Hiroshima have the most beautiful kit. It's almost kind of Fiorentina purple, isn't it? It's a nice kit, but I think um, the, the fact that you've become a Shimitsu Aspals fan definitely means that I need to pick a team, and I've decided based off kits alone. Yeah, And I've gone for Sagan Tosu. Oh, which is Torres's old side, actually. And they right. play in pink and blue. And I just love that combination of colours. It's kind of a Palermo cross with uh, um, Man City of sorts. Oh. Um, so I think the combination works very well. So Sagan Tosu, I am now a fan. Wow, you heard it here first. I think that's really appropriate to have that kind of player who's maybe a little bit more cultured, played in the Premier League, played in Europe in the heart of the J-League defence. It kind of feels right with Santos on the left-hand side. And I'm going to continue that theme with the other centre-back because I've picked Alpai Ozalan. He played in the J-League. He did. <laughs> he did. Um, known as Alpai by many here in the UK. Um, he was an all-action, fiery centre-half. Um, part of the noughties breed of ill-disciplined Turkish footballers I had no idea either that he was a J-League alumnus. I remember him from his time at Aston Villa. Um, but in fact, there was a bizarre parallel between his time in England and his time in Japan, both archetypal hero-to-villain narratives. So let's start with his time at Villa Park. After superlative performances for his country at Euro 2000, Azalan signed for English club Aston Villa, having most recently played for Fenerbahce. At first, he was immense. He formed a supreme partnership with Olaf Melberg, guiding Villa to a top-half finish. And he gained even more plaudits when he helped Turkey finish third in the 2002 World Cup. He was nominated for the team of the tournament. He was loved at Villa, but his success triggered his own downfall in many ways. He attracted interest from Europe's top clubs, including Inter Milan and Barcelona. But when Villa turned the approaches down, Alpai reacted badly. He started to be booed by his own fans and he mocked them by shushing them when he scored against Charlton. He had a bust up with the manager, Graham Taylor, leading the late manager to say, I have managed hundreds of players throughout my career and it is impossible to get on well with everyone. There will always be problems, but Alpi was a major disappointment to me because he just could not be trusted. He then had an infamous scuffle with England darling David Beckham in a European qualifying match, riling up now disgruntled fans so much at Villa that they made effigies of him and hung them off lampposts in Birmingham city centre. So the situation was untenable and his contract was terminated. Let's... Fast forward, um, his next move was not to Inter or Barcelona, rather Incheon United in South Korea, before an opportunity presented itself for him to play in the J-League with Urawa Red Diamonds. Urawa were title contenders when Alpi joined, and Alpi was supreme. Despite only playing 10 league games in his first J-League season, he was named J-League Defender of the Year. For 2004. What? How is that even possible? <laughs> Did he keep 10 clean sheets? No. <laughs> but apparently he was so outstanding that those 10 games were enough to win him the award. But when he returned for the following season, things turned sour. And quite quickly, in just seven further league games, Alpi received three red cards. What? That included six yellow cards, meaning he, he earned a card every 47 minutes. And after a board meeting at Urawa Red Diamonds, they deemed this so unacceptable that the Japanese club fired him. Wow. 
<laughs> so Alpi's career up in smoke, um, it ended as quickly as it began, just as much as, as we can say about his villa career. Um, and if you're wondering what the six foot two Amazonian hothead is doing now, he's a politician in Turkey. Oh, wow. Of course he is. Um, and guess what? In 2021, he was involved in a brawl in the Turkish parliament where he was seen fighting against Ozgur Ozel, a politician of the Republican People's Party. Speaking about this, he said, I played football in front of 85,000 people, but I don't remember getting as excited as I was on my first day in parliament. I will serve 81 million people here. This creates stress and excitement, but I have this feature. When I get very excited and stressed, I concentrate very well and I become very successful. Well, maybe his J League career doesn't necessarily speak volumes for that, but I think he deserves a place in the team. What a roller coaster for the guy. Yeah. I love that career. I mean, he was a very, very good defender, I think, at Besiktas. Mm. Um, and then Villa again. I, I don't remember the bad stuff, but that is a horrendous end to his time there. I'd love to hear the thoughts of Aston Villa fans. They probably spit when they say his name. Not popular at all. I love that centre-back pairing, Ozalan and Popovich. It's great, isn't it? And I think if those 10 games could win him player of the year, I think they can also get into this 11. We just need it to be season one, not season two, that he's Very playing for so. us. And on the right, we have Atsuto Ushida. Oh, that rings a bell. German football? Yes. You impressed? I'm very impressed. Well done. Well done. But he's a name that I think should ring more than just a bell because by all accounts, he was an absolutely excellent right back whose career was a little bit tarnished by injuries. We all too often pick this style of player on the 11, someone who could have been one of the all-time greats, frankly, but Mm. injuries held him back. Um, I think one of your favourite all-time quotes on every episode is, he actually could have been a worthy pick for our unfulfilled potential, yeah, 11. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but Atsuto Ushida is a Kashima Antlers legend. Uh, from making his debut at 17, making 41 appearances in that first season and being selected by popular vote to play in the J-League All-Star Soccer Game, He went on to win three J-League titles, two Japanese Super Cups, an Emperor's Cup and an AFC Champions League title with them. Ushida had pace in abundance, having been a winger in his youth in a similar capacity to Alex. Uh, And he was switched to right back where he would go on to play his whole career. He was awarded a place in the J-League Best eleven in both 2008 and 9 marking himself out as one of the country's finest players and earning a 1.3 million euro move to Bundesliga side Schalke. He would again prove immensely successful in Europe. He won the 2010-11 DFB Pokal and the 2011 DFB Super Cup with Schalke and made the Bundesliga best 11 twice in a row in 2013 and 14. I think that puts in context just what a good player this was. He beat Philip Lahm to that award twice in a row, clearly. Wow. So um, when, when Bayern Munich are by far and away the best team in that country and Philip Lahm's possibly the greatest German right back of all time, yeah. uh, I, I mean, that's a serious accolade for Ushida. But ultimately, injuries, as I say, meant he didn't fulfil that potential. Um, but he's still considered a legend at both clubs. As a Japanese player, he was immensely popular. During a match against Nuremberg in 2011, 90 women from Japan visited the Veltins arena to see him play. (laughs) Wow. Uh, His popularity also led Schalke to create a Japanese website and Twitter account. Uh, Another couple of choice facts. He provided the voice for Ushi who is named after him in the Pokemon movie, Diancie in the Cocoon of Destruction, oh. um, which is pretty good. He absolutely loves anime, just, just can't get enough of it. Okay. Uh, and he does not drink alcohol. He prefers to drink banana juice, apparently. Oh. Yeah. I, wow. I mean, And actually, a final point that 
um, probably is the reason I picked him is he's best mates with Maya Yoshida. Oh, I mean, yes. what more could you want, really? I was thinking about it, and perhaps there is some link in that and the fact that Yoshida currently plays for Schalke. Maybe Ushida sent him their way and they signed him up. I mean, I guess in, in constructing this J-League 11, usually what we like doing on the 11 is picking really, really niche players. And I guess by virtue of the fact that Japanese football in this country isn't that well known in constructing this 11 when we're picking Japanese players they probably tend to be amongst the better players in that country because they need to be not just completely unheard of so uh, Ushida I hope is a, is a player that you listeners you'll know that he's one of the greatest of all time but uh, injuries you know pesky injury problems yes great player great pick lumps banana juice when he found Paul Ince in the 89th minute. The Borough skipper was in luck when his hopeful cross was turned into his own net by Villa defender Alpe Ozalan. So let's take a break from the 11 uh, and learn some more about the J-League that's not necessarily connected to certain players. We featured some things from Japan on previous episodes, Arthur. We featured captain Subasa, the video game we featured the kirin cup of course where international teams played club teams there are a lot of zany things that happen in japan related to football and i found a few more so i've i've crowned a new feature it's called oh no yoshida endo right there which um i hope you can see what the inspiration behind that name is Essentially, I'm going to tell you about three slightly bizarre phenomena, I suppose, in Japanese football, and you are allowed to veto one of them from coming over to the Premier League where we watch our football. So one of these you can stop from coming over. It's as simple as that. So number one, this is something that came up on the news, actually. Essentially, Three Japanese internationals who played in the J-League, Hotaru Yamaguchi, Hiroshi Kiyotake and Yusuke Idaguchi, teamed up to play against 100 primary school kids in a traditional Japanese New Year's match. Have you ever seen this? I think I have seen this. I love the concept. I mean, just to watch it, it just looks hilarious. It's seeing swarms of children. <laughs> I know. The three J-League stars can be seen dribbling and sending out long passes in order to get to the other half of the pitch. Um, and in the video that's gone viral, the kids essentially like desperately running towards the professionals, trying to gain possession. Um, and despite their best efforts, um, unfortunately, the, the three professionals do beat the 100 school kids. But I thought it could come over to England. I'm not really sure who the three Premier League players would be that would take on the primary school kids. Do you know what? I feel like it's got Jack Grealish written all over it. Do you think? Yeah, he, he's, he kind of likes a bit of a joke. He's very, very good at close possession. Actually, if you've seen videos of like the England camp when they go away for an international fixture, sometimes they get children in to sort of meet the players, etc. And he's always quite jokey with them and quite just a nice bloke, I think. Mm. So I think he'd very much enjoy the challenge. But who to team up with, you know? Who's really earnest in the Premier League? I feel like Gabriel Jesus has a very earnest face. Yeah, I think Gabriel Jesus would be good. The one that came to mind for some reason was Matt Target. <laughs> I can really imagine him getting involved. It's very much a Matty activity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, it, he would be Matty for this particular instance, I think. It feels yeah. right for Matty Target to be involved. But yeah. I thought it was kind of cool, actually. Um, obviously, the J-League is a very serious league. This was a kind of fun little side project. And who knows, yeah. could come to the UK. The second one, um, bizarre set-piece routines. So again trawling youtube i've found that the takagawa gakuen high school um, have created this unbelievable set piece routine essentially one of their players stands alone in the six yard box when they win a free kick out wide 
while the other five attacking players form a circle on the edge of the box. The five players on the edge of the box hold hands and start dancing in a circle, a bit like kind of ring a ring of roses. They then break off, each of them darting in the box in completely different directions. And on this one occasion, the free kick was beautifully swung in and the attacker headed home to uh, to put them 1-0 up. So uh, I have no evidence to suggest it doesn't work every time. It looks no, I, kind of odd. I, I think I have seen this video. Uh, mm. I think it went viral a few years ago. And I, I love it as a concept. I think... In an age of set-piece coaches, obviously Liverpool have their throw-in coach. You know, yeah. There's all sorts of detail put into these set-piece routines. I don't understand why that doesn't happen more. Now, as you say, there is nothing to confirm that it hasn't gone in every time. You know, We've, we've oh, only yeah. seen it once and it might... I haven't seen failed attempts, so hmm. it's foolproof. I could imagine maybe like a Brighton giving that a go. It does seem a little bit Brighton-y. Yeah, um, you can imagine uh, Pascal Gross standing mm. over the free kick. Is he still even playing for them? Maybe he's not. He even still playing plays for, for Brighton, I he think. Does. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, it feels like that's a kind of South Coast thing. And the third thing is this almost kind of over obsession with football mascots. So if you cast your mind back to the 2002 World Cup, you might remember the Spherics. So this is, uh, they, they were named actually Atto, Kaz and Nick. And they were orange, purple and blue futuristic computer generated creatures who would come on the pitch before matches and at half time to kind of entertain the kids. But they were very freaky looking and jagged and something you'd find on a video game for sure. Collectively, they actually played a game called Atmos Ball. Now, I, I don't know why the creators felt the need to come up with a new sport for a, a mascot in a football match. It felt like there was a there was a sport right in front of them for, the, for them to use. But they've come up with Atmos Ball and they were given their very own peculiar and slightly trippy kids cartoon TV show in the build up <laughs> to the World Cup. There's a clip from the intro that I'm, I'm going to play you now, just so you get an idea of the sort of vibe we're talking about. Be brave, be strong, and be pure of heart. Let's go thrash them! Hold on to your hat, friend. This could get very interesting. Go out there and win this game for us. It's looking like a second helping of disaster for the Atmos team. This cartoon was somewhat of a success in Japan. Uh, the voiceover <laughs> included Mel Giedroyk and Sue Perkins from the Great British Bake Off, which can't be high on their cinematography list. But um, I can't necessarily imagine a kind of Gunnosaurus TV cartoon, to be honest. But actually thinking about it, Someone like Stamford Lion, maybe? <laughs> Stamford Lion and Chums. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could imagine happen. that. I mean, we love we love our mascot running races in this country, and I think it's it's a pretty natural progression onto mm. a cartoon. So um I'd be excited by that prospect. You talking about mascots, Ben, has reminded me of your um first and so far only, I believe, viral tweet. When you, you pointed out that the Euro 2020 mascot looked like Andy Burnham and Andy himself <laughs> responded to you, retweeted all sorts. You were, you were God, yeah. your phone must have been hot that day. That did happen. That's the power of mascots. The Japanese have got it right, Arthur. I just had a look, Ben. It's got nearly 10,000 likes. <laughs> yeah, well, all, all in a day's work. So you can veto one of those coming across to the UK. Any, any thoughts? I love all three of those. I think they're fantastic. I would say in terms of transferability to the Premier League, I think the first two are my favourites, simply because I just love to watch that. And I don't think I would have a great deal of interest in a cartoon about the football mascots. So I think vetoing, it's going to be the mascot one for me. Right, okay. So so Brighton's Ring of Ring of Roses free kick routine, 
and the prospect of Matt Target taking on Halsden local primary school in a football match. That's still up for grabs, is it? Can't wait. I absolutely cannot wait for these to happen. When are you bringing them to the Premier League? Um, I wasn't planning on doing it myself, but I, I think it's the natural sort of osmosis of football from Japan into football in the UK. So continuing with the 11 at 11 pod, it's the word, not the number. J-League fans or just fans of football generally, fans of nostalgic and obscure players, please get in touch with your suggestions. J-League 11 centre midfielder is Yuki Abe. Oh, he's a, he's a legend of the game. I think a very iconic looking man as well, I think. Yeah, I would say so. Um, a handsome man, a player who didn't quite make the grade in European football, but thrived in the J-League and goes down as one of the most decorated stars of Japanese football. He was a dynamic, athletic, intelligent midfielder who started playing for Jeff United, which has to be one of my favourite team names in the league. I love that. Jeff. Jeff. They're nicknamed the Dogs. And like many Japanese clubs, are owned by Japanese businesses, namely East Japan Railway Company, who own 50%, and Furukawa Electric, who own the other 50%. And this is where the acronym JEFF comes from. I suppose Japan Electric Furukawa, maybe? Japan Electric Funicular, maybe? Could, could be. I mean, that's not in either of the names. It could be. I suppose that's a type of railway, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, and they also have a bizarre mascot story. Jeff United's characters are Akitas, which is a, a breed of dog. Uh, and they were originally brothers named Jeffy and Unity. But they're now joined by a third mascot named Mina or Mina Chan. And her backstory, allegedly, according to the club, is that she one day came to Soga Station. Uh, the railway station, which is closest to the stadium, and offered to work alongside Jeffy and Unity. And the club said, yes, we don't know what breed of dog Mina is, or is she even a dog? It's entirely unclear. But Mina has since been added to the fold. So um, there is now Jeffy, Unity and Mina. Arbe was a boy wonder. He made his debut for Jeff at the age of 16 years and 333 days, and at the time, that was a record for the youngest Japanese professional footballer uh, in the J1 League. He went on to become Jeff United's captain and led the club to the 2005 and 2006 League Cup titles. He was also named in the league's best 11 during that span. And he moved to then champions, Urawa Reds, and helped them to win the 2007 AFC Champions League in all that time, winning 50 caps for his national team. But then the move to Europe and Leicester City, as it was, having been in the J-League Team of the Year for three years running and also being an international footballer, you would assume that he would have thrived having moved to the Championship. Um, and whilst he didn't flop, managed by Sven-Goran Eriksson, Arbe could only help the Foxes muster a 10th place finish in the second tier of English football. He was suffering from homesickness and his contract was ultimately cancelled by mutual consent. And the truth is the J-League suited Arbe and Arbe suited the J-League. It was no surprise that when he returned um, later in his career, he'd find form again. He'd play until the age of 40, making the team of the year again in 2017. What an incredible achievement that is. A man that had a long career, 819 games, and played his best football in his own nation. So um, this is really a success story. I, I think when we talk about the J-League, we have to acknowledge the fact that whilst these players may not necessarily have been able to translate the entertainment of their football into the kind of the Western world, if you like. I think in Japan, this guy is an absolute hero. And that's something that we have to cherish when we talk about the league. Definitely. I think it's very easy 
uh, as fans of football in England to dismiss a player simply based off the fact that they weren't particularly impressive here. Mm. And you're right, he wasn't a particularly good player for Leicester City. Fortunately, they have happier memories of Japanese footballers in recent times with Okazaki, uh, for example, uh, playing very well for them. Um, I think it's also important to point out that we're not talking about Yuki Abe, who's a, a, a phenomenal actress, actually appeared in The King and I in 2018. Uh, mm. So we're not talking about her. No. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for picking Yuki because he is a proper, proper J-League veteran. Great. Who's alongside him? Well, sitting a little bit behind him, in fact, okay. a defensive midfielder today is Dunga. Ooh, another Brazilian. Another Brazilian, but this one not naturalised Japanese. Um, his nickname, Dunga, is derived from the Portuguese translation of Dopey. What? The... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was named after a dwarf from the Disney version of Snow White because um, his uncle uh, saw that he was pretty short when he was, uh, <laughs> when he was horrible. young. <laughs> and called him, called him Dunga. So, uh, yeah, that's where that comes from. Uh, and in 1994, following a second-place finish in the JFL, which was the Japanese second division, Jubilo Iwata were promoted to the J-League. And their development as one of the most successful J-League franchises owes a great deal to two individuals. One of them was Dunga. Uh, the other one was Dutchman Hans Ooft. Uh, who was a former coach of the Japanese national team and took over the reins in 1994 and signed Dunga the following year. Um, He was was a former captain of Brazil and was employed essentially to act as on-field general and the core of the new team they were setting up. Between them, Uft and Dunga were able to mould a group of players into one of the most well-coordinated teams in the league. 1997 was a particular highlight. They won the league and finished runner-up in the J-League Cup. And in 1998, uh, it was switched around. It was his final season there. And uh, they won the J-League Cup and were runner-up in the league. Mm. Even after the two left, Jubilo continued to perform at a very high level. They won the title in 1999 again. Um, I just think this signing, it's such a huge deal that a Japanese team signed such a household name as Dunga. He was an international regular. And despite the drop in standard of the J-League compared to his previous level at Fiorentina, he would make over 50 of his 91 international appearances whilst with Jubilo. So the drop in standard at club football was far from it on an international level. Dunga was a huge talent. The one who did the dirty work in the team full of in a team full of flair players internationally. He was a shield in front of the back line uh, and alternated between this role and that of a box-to-box midfielder due to his excellent stamina and mobility. I just think with Dunga, it surprises me that with Fiorentina, that was 155 appearances he made there, they very much were the best team he played for. He never really played for a truly elite club side, In fact, his second longest stint in a club was with Jubilo. Given 91 caps internationally, I'm so surprised that he didn't play for a top four club in any nation, really. Yeah, that is amazing, really. When you look back at highlights of the 1998 World Cup, Dunga is always kind of front and centre in those. Um, Jubilo Iwata as well are are a classic J-League outfit. They're actually the local rivals of Shimitsu S-Pulse. So they play out the Shitsuoka Derby together. Um, and there's quite a lot of beef from Jubilo fans because they feel that Shimitsu should never have been part of the original J-League because they hadn't played football before in the Japanese Soccer League. So um, there's quite a lot of beef between those two teams. Hmm. You said that you didn't know much about the J-League, but you're just spouting out all these facts, you know? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's research. That's what it is. Um, but it's, I've loved learning about the J-League. It's such an interesting league. And um, certainly off the back of this, I'm going to pay a bit more attention. Attacking midfield. And I have chosen, Arthur, Dragan Stojkovic. 
an absolute J League legend. He is, I think. Um, a name that I was only really familiar with as he'd been linked with the Arsenal management job a few times over the last kind of couple of decades. No other team, just Arsenal. Uh, and the reason for that is a link dating back to a time in Japan with Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger is the most high-profile manager ever to have managed in the J-League. Um, in 1995, Wenger took over Nagoya Grampus 8, a seemingly bizarre move for a man making a name for himself in French football management. And his start was slow, Nagoya struggling to shake off a losing mentality. But gradually, his healthy eating and fitness regimes got through to the players and results started to turn. In 1996, Wenger guided Nagoya to third in the league, an Emperor's Cup win, and his star man was Dragan Stojkovic. Stojkovic was at the tail end of an impressive individual career, actually. He was a midfield playmaker, a quick, opportunistic and unpredictable player, known in particular for vision, creativity, passing, his dribbling that enabled him to beat several opponents in one swift move, and actually that also earned him the nickname Maradona of the Balkans. He played 84 times for Yugoslavia and only a poor injury record had prevented him from achieving more domestically. But he thrived in Japan. At Nagoya, he won Japanese fans' hearts who called him Pixie as a pet name. He scored 57 goals in seven seasons, including 15 in Arsene's best season. And he returned to Nagoya as manager. But amongst all these things, I think perhaps his best achievement came as manager of Nagoya, Grandpa Sait. He scored with a volley from the halfway line in his technical area whilst managing a game. So the ball sort of deflected out wide towards the managerial technical area wearing a suit and brogues at the time dragon leathers on the most pure volley you could possibly imagine back over the goalkeeper's heads and straight into the net it's superhuman and ludicrous he threw his arms up in celebration but was sent off by the ref for taking the piss i mean that is just so insane you've got to see this video the skill of stoikovic oh, as a manager sorry, is, I, just, I just watched it it's absolutely unreal it's unbelievable claps the fans i know <laughs> it's incredible i can't believe he got sent off for that but yeah dragan stoikovic certainly was one of the best players the j league has ever seen um perhaps a little obscure to us over here in the uk but but certainly in European football, he was a big name. Nagoya Grampus, the team he played for and managed, have quite a unique fact connected to them. They have two home stadiums and they split their games each season across those two stadiums. Wow. So the first... Are they very near each other? No, they're not, which I suppose is the point. Um, yeah. Their first stadium is a specific Toyota stadium which has the capacity of 45,000 and it was built for the World Cup, but it's actually really nowhere near Nagoya. So it would be like their fan base having to move to Milton Keynes uh, if you're an AFC Wimbledon fan, for instance. So to try and kind of appease the fans, they play several matches in their original stadium, the Mizuho Stadium, which just holds 20,000 fans and is a little antiquated. Um, and then, obviously, the bigger games they'll they'll take to this brand spanking new stadium. Well, I say brand spanking new, it's 20 years old now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at their logo as well. Um, and they've got what looks like a killer whale with an enormously sharp fin and a crown. The significance of that is that the Grampus is a type of dolphin. Ah. So that's actually what you see on the club crest. It looks like a very nice dolphin. Mm, friendly. It's not intention to hurt nobody, but the goal is very nice. <laughs> Moving on to the strike force, 
those of you who do listen will know that one position each week is up for grabs. We've got a couple of nominations today for the third striker. Uh, but to start the front line off, I'm putting forward Kazuyoshi Miura. Ah. There was a news story about someone who was very old playing yes. in the J-League. It's Is the old mean? one. The and old I think one. The coverage that he's received in recent years suggests it's essentially a journeyman striker who really wasn't that good and his longevity trumps his talent. But I think the reality couldn't be further from that. And this is an opportunity to shine a light on really a very, very good footballer. He was the first Japanese recipient of the Asia Footballer of the Year Award. Uh, he was arguably Japan's first superstar in football, known for his trademark Kazu Feint and his famous Kazu Dance, when he scores great goals or produces great plays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering this, the dynamic behind him producing a great play and then doing a dance. <laughs> it seems quite yeah, weird. Yeah, I feel like unless you score, doing a dance is, is perhaps not required. Yeah, I agree with that. Can you imagine if Daniel Sturridge did his silly little uh, fist dance? What, after he, dispossessing exactly. Matt Target? Very bizarre. And um, we've talked about a few Brazilians on this uh, on this episode, and uh, Kazu had a slightly different circumstance in the sense that he went as a youth player to Brazil, uh, and then embarked on a fairly unsuccessful journeyman start to his career in Brazil, playing for clubs such as Santos and Palmeiras, uh, scoring rarely. His rise to superstardom in Japan came with the launch of the J League in 1993 when he was Verdi Kawasaki and he scored 117 goals in just shy of 200 games. He was the J League's most valuable player in 1993 and won A League title four times in a row. Two of them with the Japan Soccer League and two with the J League after its creation. He made several attempts to make it in Europe, first on loan with Genoa in 1995 and then with Dinamo Zagreb in 1999, but neither was successful. He even reportedly had a trial with Bournemouth. Oh. Um, sadly, he was unsuccessful, so we didn't see him over here. Mm. Uh, his return to Japan comprised of since with Kyoto, Fissel Kobe and Yokohama FC. Uh, he makes the headlines these days, as you say, for the length of his career. He's 55 years old and currently plays for Suzuka Point Getters uh, on loan. <laughs> what? Yep. <laughs> Sorry? Yep, Suzuka Point Getters. Oh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the meeting when they decided that name. He actually moved there from Tokyo Incisive Finishers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they've completely run out of all animals or yeah, scary exactly. men from history no that's just does what it says on the tin the point getters they are the point getters uh sadly they haven't actually got many points uh no. this season but uh he he's operating there under the management of his brother in the japanese fourth tier uh he just seems to go on and on he holds records for being the oldest goal scorer in the j league uh, the footballer with the world's longest professional career. And as of 2022, he's the oldest professional footballer in the world at 55. He also ho holds the possibly unique distinction of having played professional football in five separate decades, the mm -hmm. 80s to the 2020s. Um, I don't know whether anyone listening can confirm if that is unique, but I feel it probably is. Um, one fact to highlight the longevity of his career is the fact that he signed for Yokohama at the age of 38 and went on to make 293 appearances oh, for them. Wow. And this one as well. He scored 55 goals in 89 international appearances, but he retired from international football 22 years ago. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Ridiculous. So welcome, Kazuyoshi, to the team. Well-deserved place in this team. Uh, and he will play alongside Patrick and Bomber. <laughs> Patrick and Bomber. What a yeah. guy. A Cameroon legend, 
um, a big, strong beast of a forward, a juggernaut, famous for an incredible overhead kick on international duty. Uh, and to see such a big man flying through the air is a thing of absolute beauty, well worth a watch. Patrick was not a Sunderland legend. Um, his contributions on the pitch, anyway, certainly didn't lend himself to the fans. He scored just one goal in a nine-game loan spell in 2001 to 2002. And Bomber said when he signed for Sunderland, first, I will have to introduce myself to my teammates and then seduce Peter Reid. So uh, a, a bit of a mistranslation there, I think. Um, and that bizarre start didn't end just there. And Bomber tried unsuccessfully to get the number 70 on his back, a reference to the year of his birth. <laughs> what a bizarre reasoning. Um, but the Premier League rejected this request with the Cameroonian instead opting for the far more sensible number seven. But unfortunately, a spell of injuries would mar his time in England. And although he was a bit of a cult hero, he really wasn't a hero on the pitch. As well as a very prolific spell at Cagliari and an enviable record of 33 goals in 57 for his nation, including a gold medal at the Olympics, and Bomber enjoyed his best football in not one, but two spells in Japanese football. He loved it so much in the J-League that he came back for more. He was the top scorer in 1997 for Gamba Osaka, scoring 27 goals in 34 games. And that meant that despite only playing one season for the team, and Bomber was named in Gamba Osaka's best ever team by fans. <laughs> so that's how highly he's held in terms of acclaim. They're fans of the hyperbole to, to earn player of the season after seven games to, to be all time best mm. 11 after one season. It's, it's really a yeah. stream reactions to I think form. Japanese fans, they vote with their heart, not their head. Don't know when it comes to these awards. When Mboma returns to Japan later in his career, he scored 17 goals for Tokyo Verde uh, before ending up retiring at Iniesta's club, Vissel Kobe. And actually, Patrick was quite a rare breed of African footballer that made his way to the J-League. There were only two other African footballers that I'd actually heard of that have made the move to Japan so far. Uh, one of them is Abdeljelal Hadda, who played for Yokohama Marinos in the year 2000. He scored a couple of goals at the World Cup for Morocco in 1998. So I kind of faintly remembered that name. The other one, Arthur, can you guess? He's featured in an 11 before. No. It's Seydou Doumbia. He, oh, yeah. Yes. Played for Kiwa Reisol and Tokushima Vortis between 2006 and 2008. It's time for Up for Grabs, the third striker of this J League 11. Uh, and we've got a couple of nominations in. The first comes from Gabriele Anello, who is from J League Regista, which is an excellent website that has articles uh, as well as a fantastic Twitter account all about the J League. Uh, and particular players who we may see over in Europe in, in, in the coming seasons. So do please check that website out. Uh, and he's got a nomination. Born in 1982, Isato Sato has been one of the symbols of J-League. His twin brother Yuto became a symbol for the club they both started to play for, Jeff United Chiba. So Sato began and ended his career with Jeff United, but he had to leave the nest to find his breakthrough somewhere else. In fact, one of the brightest strikers in Japan had to move to Hiroshima, and in 12 years with Sanfrecce, he scored in almost every competition you can think about, from the first two tires of Japanese football to the National Cups, featuring also in the AFC Champions League and in the FIFA Club World Cup. No great luck with Japan, of course, because he just played 31 times with the Samurai Blue, not being a starter, but he had 12 seasons with double digits of calls in J1, and his model was Pippenzaghi, to the point he named one of his dogs after the Italian strikers. He had more than 700 career matches and a legacy to remember. Yes, his Sato Sato. Fantastic name. Really, really love it. And the Sato's seem to have a bit of a dynasty 
So great to hear about him. Thank you so much for that nomination. Wicked. Our next nomination comes in from Dan Orlowitz. Dan is a well-respected journalist for the Japan Times. He's written countless articles about the J-League. And yeah, I really advise checking out some of his latest articles. If you're thinking of getting into this league, he is the man with all of the information. Let's see which striker he wants up front for our J-League 11. When I think of J-League cult heroes, the name that comes to mind is striker Yoshido Okubo. There's no greater testament to his status as one of Japan's greatest attackers and hard men as August 19th, 2018, when as a Jibilo Iwata player, he scored his 200th J-League goal and earned his 100th yellow card. A fearless attacker who left it all on the pitch, Okubo racked up individual accolades, best new player in 2001 as a Sedeso Osaka rookie, three straight best 11 and golden boot awards between 2013 and 2015 with Kawasaki Frontale. But in a career that spanned eight clubs across three countries, his only silverware came in the 2008-2009 season when he helped Wolfsburg win the Bundesliga. Despite his prolific league form, he only scored six goals for Japan, representing his country at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, then disappearing from the international stage, only to reappear as a shock selection for Brazil. Whether you loved him or hated him depended on which uniform he was wearing at the time, but one cannot deny the respect he drew from J-League fans, represented in the Yoshido meter that followed him from club to club, tallying each and every time he rocked the back of the net. Yes, Yoshito Akubo. He was voted Asian Young Player of the Year in 2003, so another really high-caliber player that played the majority of his career in the J-League. Arthur, one to add to the poll? Yes, it's Tadanari Lee. Oh, okay. A former Southampton player, I see. It's been some time, to be fair, since I've selected one. So I thought it was about time. Um, He's sometimes named Chung, which stems from his Korean heritage. Uh, He's a player who I fondly remember as a Saints player, despite him making only 14 appearances. He signed for Southampton shortly after scoring an excellent extra time goal against Australia uh, to win the Asian Cup for Japan in 2011. He had a brilliant celebration. He got down on one knee, uh, retrieved an imaginary arrow from his quiver <laughs> and drew his bow, firing the arrow into the sky. And and that wow. celebration was seen only once at Southampton in the league. <laughs> uh, my, my memories of him at Saints perhaps are a little bit rose-tinted as it was a promotion season. But he won our goal of the season that year with a stunning turn and top corner strike against Derby. Um, as I say, his only league goal for the club, but he did score another couple in the cup. In Japan, he's been far more successful. 75 goals with Kashiwa Reizol, Sanfrecce Hiroshima and Urao Reds. And he won the Asian Champions League with the latter. Um, ben, you'll also be delighted to hear that he is a Kirin Cup winner. Oh, 2011, man. yes. Yeah. The biggest of them all, the shiniest trophy. Well, against all those club sides. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the fourth in the poll is Jong Tae Sei. Was he? The, oh, he was the North Korean striker, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. was actually born in Japan, believe it or oh. not. Um, but he chose not to represent their national team. He was desperate to represent North Korea, apparently. Does that not make him a really bad bloke? <laughs> well. I don't know necessarily. Um, I'm not really sure what his affinity towards North Korea was. His parents were actually South Korean. Um, but because of a quirk in his mother's citizenship, he could represent North Korea if he wanted to. And seemingly, he really, really wanted to. He was very <laughs> proud of that fact. The poster boy of their 2010 World Cup qualification campaign. And he could also be seen crying during the national anthem in their first game in the World Cup proper. He was a potent rifleman, prolific from a young age, um, and he was dubbed the People's Rooney by the British press. Although the player himself, Jong, apparently says he compares more frequently to Didier Drogba. So um, I would suggest, actually, he doesn't really compare to either of those. But, I mean, it's nice to think big. 
we also discuss whether we're letting you get away with calling a striker who scores lots of goals a potent rifleman. I I don't see why not. I think I think John was. <laughs> he started his career at Kawasaki Frontal, um, scoring double figures in three consecutive seasons and attracting interest from Europe. He went for a trial with English club Blackburn Rovers in early 2010, but ultimately chose a move to Germany with second-tier side Bochum. Despite turning his back on the national team, Japanese domestic football always brought the best out of Jong. Uh, when he signed for Shimitsu S-Pulse in 2015, he hit the ground running and helped them back to the J-League at the first time of asking. In total, he scored 49 goals in 126 games for the club, so that is actually one in three, pretty much. A little better than that. And he's still on the books of a Japanese club, aged 38, playing for J-League 2 side FC Makeda Zelvia. So, um, yeah, I, I just like the contrast of this player who didn't want to represent the Japanese national team, but actually has thrived in Japanese domestic football. That must provide a, an awkward dichotomy for fans. Absolutely. There will be a poll on Twitter. You can vote for which striker you'd like to finish our 11 off. Uh, your options are Tadanari Lee, Yoshito Okubo, Hisato Sato and Yong Teisei. On the bench, any names that missed out for you, Ben? I was fascinated to find that Mark Bowen, the former Reading manager, had played for Shimizu S-Pulse. So the reasons are stacking up as to why I should support them. What about you, Arthur? Yeah, I mean, a couple of the obvious ones that I feel we can't ignore would be Gary Lineker, you mentioned him in passing. Zico played for Kashima Antlers, probably the most high-profile player to have ever played in the J-League. Uh, Iniesta, currently playing for Vissel Kobe and Torres at Sagan Tosu. So uh, my team obviously needed to be represented on the bench. Uh, and uh, a few very, very good options, but uh, no, they did narrowly miss out and we're making an impact off the bench today. Well, I loved learning about this fantastic football league they have out in Japan. The J League 11 reads like this. In goal, Jung Sung Ryong. At left-back, Alessandro Santos. Centre-backs, Tony Popovich and Alpai Ozalan. Right-back, Atsuto Uchida. In centre-midfield, Yuki Abe, Dunga and Dragan Stojkovic. And up front, it's Kazuyoshi Miura, Patrick and Bomber, and a choice of yours. Thank you very much for listening. You don't actually have to include the bit where I call it Ono Yoshida Endo right there. That was... Um, I didn't actually understand it. I'm not sure I do, looking back. I think I was... Oh, was no. Yoshida Endo. You should have ended right there, but it didn't really work. So, yeah, I think <laughs> I think we'll leave that out. Okay. Yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You should have ended oh, no. right there. Yeah.